Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. If you would like to support the Box of Oddities, we would be eternally grateful. Become a premium subscriber. Go to theboxofoddities.com and get signed up. You will get ad-free episodes. You'll get them a day early. You'll get a bonus episode every month. And you'll get access to the Box of Oddities back channel. Direct contact to us. And we appreciate it so much. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I gotta read you this. This came from Brandon. Um, he said, Cat and Jethro, last night I listened to Box 201, particularly enjoyed the way you got going with old colloquialisms. Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. Okay. Colder than a well digger's ass, hotter than three a bed. I love it. I've worked for the past 15 years or so in the oil and gas industry in South and West Texas and have had the privilege of working alongside many very colorful, dynamic men and women who use such colloquial, colloquial weird sayings on a, said it once. On, fine. on a daily basis. <laughs> I became so enamored with the idiosyncrasies of the language that I began writing them down. Yay. The more flamboyant expressions I encountered, the better. I thought you might get a kick out of some of these, so I figured I'd pass them along. He says he hopes to make it to some of our live shows sometime. Uh, he drives 95 miles each way every day and looks forward to listening to the Box of Oddities. He says, it really does mean a great deal to have you both with me a couple of times each week on my lonesome nighttime drive through the south, uh, through the West Texas oil patch. Um. Yeah, that's probably the only time I want to be driving with a stranger in the middle of the night through a western Texas oil patch. I'm sure I'm not the only one, so keep that podcast shining like a diamond in a goat's ass. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that one. Here, here are some examples. He, there are pages of them here, so I'll just pick a few out. Yes, please. To describe a particularly hot day. Hotter than a blistered pussy in a pepper patch. Oh, my God. To describe the superlative quality of someone or something, tighter than Dick's hat band. What does that mean? I don't know. Is Dick a specific man who had a very tight hat band? It, it must have been. To describe a difficult day or shift, I'm shaking like a dog shitting peach seeds with a champagne hangover. <laughs> Why are you... What? Uh-huh. To describe an incompetent worker or otherwise objectionable person, I'm not going to call him any names, but I know his mother ran out from under the house and bit the mailman many a day. Here's another good one. He could fuck up a junk pile. (laughs) I like that. To express one's own readiness to undertake a difficult task, here I stand with a yard of dick and a bucket of balls. That I believe I have heard but on was, a golf course. I was going to say, it sounds like a <laughs> yep. golfing term. Yep. Yep. And uh, one more, to describe the caliber of quality of certain female companions, I knew she was a lady by the way she said motherfucker. <laughs> Brandon, that's glorious. <laughs> Thanks for sending that. That I, would make a great book. That would make a great book. I was thinking just now that it would make a really nice, beautiful like typograph print uh, print for like my bathroom, uh, just yes. a list of them and pu- beautiful prints. And M- maybe a fine needle point. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to put that on anyone. All right. You get to go first. What delightful topic will you expand upon at this particular time that will amuse me in or horrify me in many ways? Yeah, I think there's a jingle that we have. For yeah, the, it goes for like that. this. What you got for me? What, what you what? What you what you got for me? What 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 you got for me? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> well, you got there. Yeah, eventually. You know, I think it's important. All right. Well, uh, get ready to uh, bring it down a notch. This sucks. Okay. Okay. Annie Lee was born in San Jose, California, to a Vietnamese-American family. She was valedictorian of her graduating class at Union Mine High School, uh, further north in El Dorado, and voted one of two students to be, this was their superlative, the next Einstein. Ooh. What year was this? Um, I, well, I mean, she she was born and, and went to school all in different years, so. What? What year did she graduate? I don't know. I don't have that right here. What time what what time period are we talking? Well, I'm I like give me just a minute, please. <laughs> what you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? I just thought we could start again. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, So she won a shit ton of scholarship money, and her major was in cell developmental biology with a minor in medical anthropology. Holy shit. Yeah. She was accepted into a graduate program at Yale. Uh, She was working on earning a doctorate in pharmacology, and uh, she was working on research uh, that had applications in the treatment of diabetes and certain forms of cancer. 
She was also uh, approaching a very exciting point in her life where she was getting married on September 13th, 2009. There it is, 2009. I'm so glad I could get that for you. Thank you. She was going to be married in New York to Jonathan Wadowski, who was a graduate student in applied physics and mathematics at Columbia University. He was her uh, college sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And so on the morning of September 8th, five days before the wedding, Annie left her apartment and took Yale Transit to the Sterling Hall of Medicine on the Yale campus. At about 10 a.m., she walked from Sterling Hall to another campus building on Amistad Street, where her research laboratory was located. So she had left her purse and her cell phone, her credit cards and like personal stuff at the office at Sterling Hall. At approximately nine o'clock that night, when she had still not returned to her home, one of her five housemates called police because they said it was so unlike her to be uh, late, to not check in. They said immediately it raised red flags. So police checked the security tapes. There's a bunch of them. And they saw that she had entered the Amistad Street building just after 10 a.m. And she was seen on the tape carrying a notebook and two bags of mouse food. The the research facility that I she see. worked in uh, housed mouse. Otherwise, that would be weird. The security footage did not show her leaving the building. So police closed the whole building for investigation. They weren't really sure what was going on at this point. They thought uh, as she was, you know, five days from a wedding, mm. uh, maybe it, some believed that she had gotten cold feet, that she got nervous, maybe was going through, a, you know, she had a lot of pressure on her. She's doing this high level of education, a wedding coming up, families coming in. Runaway bride syndrome. Something like that. More than a hundred law enforcement or... Orificers. <laughs> Orificers. <laughs> More than a hundred law enforcement officers joined the search. And on September 12th, this is days later, three days later, they discovered bloody clothes. The clothes were hidden in a ceiling, which I think is another great argument against suspended ceilings. <laughs> I hate them. And... Um, they look like crap anyway, and um, they are easy to hide bodies in. So I'm with you on that, sister. There's no bodies. It's clothes. Yeah, I know. But you can hide bodies there, too, which is why I don't like suspended ceilings. Well, probably it wouldn't hold a body. There's not enough Well, no, what, what you have threshold. to do is you, you have to get like a two by four and you put it across the um, I-beam. I mean, I've heard. In this very room that we're in, the previous tenants used to hide weed in the ceiling. There was weed in the ceiling. <laughs> you, you can see one of those ceiling tiles has what looks to be like a broom handle hole in yep. it uh, yep. because they would pop the ceiling tile up, <laughs> stash their weed up there, and then drop the tile back down. We live in a classy neighborhood. It's nice. I was always like, why does this one room reek yeah. of skunky bud? <laughs> Something is happening. Something smells like dank, fatty nugs. <laughs> so, um, wow, that got too jovial. Let's okay, keep back, it in check. Bloody clothes in the ceiling. So they found bloody clothes in the ceiling. They declared the building a crime scene, and they started to expand their search to include, kind of uh, grisly, a trash incinerator, which was about 40 miles away. 
So Annie was described as being incredibly smart, fun-loving, endlessly energetic, and they were concerned that she had come to disastrous harm. So Yale offered a $10,000 reward for information leading to her whereabouts. Her fiancé came in from New York, her family, some of which were coming in from California anyway for her upcoming nuptials. Mm. Uh, they, they were all traveling uh, to, to help in the search as well. Five days after her disappearance on the 13th, police noticed a smell uh, that tipped them off. Mm. They brought in cadaver dogs, and at 5 p.m. that day, her decomposing body was found stuffed upside down in a utility compartment behind a wall in the basement. Oh, my God. Uh, Basically... It was a channel between beams or like two by fours. What's that called? The You know how you the can structural. put those little inserts like cubbies if you just studs. take out the... Yeah, yeah. studs. Yeah. There you go. Those ones. Yeah. So, yeah. She was a very petite young lady. Mm-hmm. She was 4'11". She oh weighed goodness. 90 pounds. Oh, my God. Um, which is exactly what my mom weighed when she was 18 by the way, she was 4'11". She weighed 90 pounds. She was a tiny little nugget person. That's crazy. And even so, a police officer who was interviewed by New York Post said uh, that she had just been crushed up into that space. She was like mush. Oh, my She was God. so smashed up there, you couldn't recognize her. Huh. Initial reports also stated she may have had to have been partially dismembered in order to get all of her parts in that wall space. Holy crap. The state medical examiner determined that Annie Lee had died from traumatic asphyxiation by neck compression, as reported by CBS News. And it would later be revealed that she had a broken jaw and a broken collarbone injuries uh, that happened when she was still alive. Even before her body had been found, though, police began zeroing in on Ray Clark. Uh, He was a lab technician, and he worked at the lab uh, that she worked at. Um, He was part of a custodial function, and coworkers told police that he was a bit of a control freak. He viewed the laboratory and its mice as his territory, Mm. and um, he didn't go to Yale. He just worked there, and he was known to be very hard on students who left the lab dirty, making more work for him. This is according to ABC News and the Associated Press. Clark had sent a text message to Lee on the day that she vanished, requesting a meeting to discuss the cleanliness of the mouse cages in the research lab. Furthermore, on September 10, Clark came forward with information, as sometimes those close to crime so often do. Um, Inserting himself into the investigation. Yep. Uh Uh-oh. He told Yale police that he saw Lee leave the building at 12.45, 15 minutes before he had left the building on the day of her disappearance. And he said that he didn't know anything about where she was, Um, A fire alarm went off shortly after that time, and that was activated by steam from uh, an autoclave that was used to sterilize lab equipment. I see. He didn't set it off as a diversion. Or while he was sterilizing lab equipment. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, my God. Now, because of the nature of the lab that they worked in, people must use their key cards to buzz in and out. So Lee swiped her key at 10-11 
in the lab room, G13, and Clark reported for work at the center 29 minutes later. At 1.04 a.m., Clark, who was um, wearing blue jeans, white shoes, and a dark-colored jacket with white stripes, entered the lab where Lee was working and remained there for 46 minutes. He signed in as RC using a green ink pen, and um, from 10.40 that morning, Clark went in and out of the lab room where Lee was working and another room, G22, 55 times. What? Until he left at 3.45 p.m. In just a few hours. That's right. 55 times. From 10.40 a.m. to 3.45, 55 times. So 10 times an hour, 10 times plus. Yeah. Huh. And when he left the building that day, he was seen wearing different clothes than what he entered wearing. come on. As investigators searched for Lee in the lab and facility, Clark continued to work in the lab as well, scrubbing the floor drain with steel wool, cleaning solutions. Uh, Coworkers would later tell investigators that they thought it was unusual because the drain was clean. Mm Mm-hmm. Cleaning didn't end there. He was seen scrubbing the floor near a sink. Again, a floor that didn't appear to need to be cleaned. Mm -hmm. So either he was finding reasons to be in that area or he knew of reasons that he needed to be in that area. Mm -hmm. Police brought him in and talked to him. During the interview, police asked Clark about the scratches that he had on his face and arms. He said that the injuries came from his cat's. They requested a DNA sample, and he was on his way. The following day, September 17th, based on the DNA evidence, he was arrested. This all moved so quickly, and there was so much evidence that they, where normally they would be looking for a motive, they didn't need one. Because of the abundance. Because of the overwhelming forensic evidence in this case. Plus, if this guy was kind of a dick to everybody... Mm -hmm. Maybe he was just a little unbalanced. Maybe he had some sort of a grudge against people who went to Yale because he didn't get to go to Yale, but he had to clean up after people who went to Yale. It's hard to say. But the green pen that Clark had used to sign into the lab that day was also found jammed into that wall space with uh, Annie's body. He's not a very good murderer. No, no. Not long after that, a high school girlfriend of Clark's told Good Morning America that she had to call the police when she broke up with him. She said, I wanted out of the relationship because he would get angry very often. He would frighten me and he would get physical. For about two weeks, I was escorted from my school to my car after we broke up because of the fear that I had of him. The New Haven Independent obtained a copy of the 2003 police report on that incident, and the girlfriend had also told police that Clark had forced her to have sex with him. Why they didn't refer to that as rape, I'm not sure, but (laughs) let's call it what it is. Ray Clark would eventually plead guilty to murder in exchange for a 44-year prison sentence. He was also found guilty of attempt to commit sexual assault. Uh, He offered... No explanation at the trial, even when given the chance to speak. He did express remorse. He admitted that he killed her. He said that she was a great person, that he was she was a better person than he would ever be, and that he was very sad that he killed her and took her away from her family, um, but didn't offer 
any explanation as to what happened, how it happened, why it happened. Nothing. Do you think that um, it began as a sexual advance and she rebuffed him and he got angry? I have no I mean, idea. there's a million. There's yeah. There's any number scenarios right. that one it's, could come up with. It's really tough, um, and I, uh, I imagine that that's one of the the things that a family has to go through while they're dealing with this is you don't want to know what happened, but at the same time, you kind of need to know what happened. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, when her body was found, her bra had been pushed up and her panties were down mm-hmm. uh, and they did find semen on her. Um, so they, I don't think that they, I don't think that anyone really understands exactly what happened. So there, yeah, the DNA evidence alone. Oh yes, no, no know. question. They don't need to know why. They don't need a green pen. No, you know, <laughs> no. They, <laughs> they've got something else a little right, more, yeah. more powerful there. Um, wow, no kidding. Yeah. Oh my God, that's awful. Annie Lee's mother spoke at the trial, and she said, "I will never see her walking down the aisle. I will never hold my grandchildren. Society has lost a great woman, and my family lost a beautiful soul." In a September 30th email to faculty and staff, the uh, president of Yale announced several steps that they had decided to move forward with in an effort to improve campus security on an, with an emphasis on preventing workplace violence. Uh, one of the things that police stressed and Yale stressed during this process was this, this was not a domestic event. This was not a lover's quarrel. This was basically a a workplace event this was not campus violence it's not you know Mm. they really wanted to stress that it wasn't all these things but they weren't sure exactly what it was they wanted to focus on it being workplace violence because that's the only thing that they had to go with was that this guy was weird about people leaving the lab dirty right and apparently had an issue with annie having left the lab dirty So um, among these efforts, uh, expanding the University Public Safety Council to include the head of human resources, uh, offering workplace violence prevention training to supervisors, um, which I think is important across the board, um, running criminal background checks on employees hired through temp agencies. They actually did already have background checks on their employees, but Clark had been hired before that initiative uh, went into place. All right. So they didn't know about his previous... Uh... Well, technically, he didn't have a record because his previous girlfriend had declined to press charges. She had filed a report, but she hadn't pressed charges. Hmm. They also beefed up emergency communications in isolated indoor and outdoor areas. So any place that's outside of the normal walking paths, et cetera, um, they have uh, regular phones and emergency blue phones. Uh, Yale has more than 400 of those blue phones in outdoor locations across their campus. But again, they they wanted to stress that it wasn't a campus issue, that it was a workplace violence issue. At the same time, I think there was a lot of pressure being put on Yale because this did happen inside of one of their facilities. And they wanted to do something, you know, to show that, hey, we take this seriously. Uh, But in the end, we don't know why this happened. So it's impossible to you can't. So he took a plea deal, essentially. He admitted to what he did. Mm-hmm. He, he he articulated remorse for doing what he did. Correct. In exchange for a lighter sentence of 44 years. What was the alternative? 
life without parole or because Connecticut doesn't have the death penalty. I would imagine it would have been life, but um, I'm not I'm not sure. Mm, wow. Yeah. I do know that they moved him to a facility for high risk inmates okay. uh, because of the uh, media attention mm -hmm. surrounding this. Um, they are concerned for his safety. Uh-huh. Yeah. Prison vigilanteism. Yeah. At, uh, ask Jeffrey Dahmer how that worked out. Wow. Okay. Bummer. It, yeah. Like I said, it, it's not great because I think so often we want a, a nice bow on things mm -hmm. to be like, he was mad because blah, and then she died. Yeah, nah. right. Um, but that's, it just doesn't always happen that way. Ray Clark. Mm-hmm. Murdered yeah, a woman. Right. That's but, what happened. But maybe if they didn't have suspended ceilings. Oh, that's how you. No. That's how you want to go with it. I was trying to get back to something funny. There's no. You can't. Yeah. There's nothing. I've ruined everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You suck. And now, that thing in the middle. Trish posted a meme from a man named Paul, who is a physicist. He said, uh, thanks to a random brain freeze, I forgot the word for photon, so I had to call it a shiny crumb in front of my <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> it is a shiny crumb. So Trish asked, I want to hear your brain freeze moments. Oh, this is good. Sarah posted, I was using a stamp and I got ink all over my hands, but I couldn't think of the word ink. So I just said, ah, stamp juice. <laughs> that sounds like something you would say. <laughs> Jesse said, my toddler hit his elbow the other day and I guess he couldn't uh, think of the proper word for it. So he told me he hit his arm knee. <laughs> That's accurate. And she also said, my fiance's friend couldn't think of the word subtract. So he said, reverse math. Yeah. Dana said, my daughter couldn't remember the word for tortilla and called it taco bread, which has now officially been adopted. <laughs> Nicole writes, I said something at the same time as my husband one time, and I couldn't remember the word jinx or what was owed after saying jinx. So I burst out, same time, same word, you owe me a sandwich. <laughs> I think that is Again. exactly perfect. Yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Sounds like something you would say. <laughs> and I did comment on this post. I said I shared this on another post not long ago, but here it is. Uh, not long ago, I couldn't come up with the word shower. So I said, the tall bath. Yeah, that was on vacation. Yeah. That was down in Orlando. You were talking about how wonderful you thought the, uh, the tall bath was. Yeah. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. 
Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities. Celebrity voice impersonated. We got an email. Nope. Instagram message from <laughs> a word collection from the interweb <laughs> from a friend on Instagram. There we go. And she wrote, I do it too!" exclamation point. Well, we all do. Caitlin said, cat, sweet soul sister of mine. <laughs> I too imagine my mouth bones being smashed out of my head on a daily basis. Oh, my God, yeah. You guys need to form a support group. That's crazy. I have never found another human that feels as strongly about tooth trauma as I do. Even on my wedding day, I couldn't escape the thoughts. I tripped on a rock, almost fell out of my high heels, and immediately saw myself toothless in a blood-soaked dress in all of my (laughs) wedding photos. My husband thought I was crying tears of joy, and I was, but it was more the joy of my teeth not having joined the pavement in holy matrimony. Thank you for making this freak feel justified in her morbid bucal daydreams. You are one of our family. You fit right in. <sighs> that makes me feel just really good. Yeah. I mean, not that she feels that way ever. It's a terrible feeling. Sure. Ugh. Yeah. No, I get Ugh. that. Oh, you have a story thing to tell me. I have a story thing. I have a collection of words myself here that are arranged in a particular order, which is meant to bring some sort of entertainment. I love order words. All right. I don't think any of us can honestly, if if we look down deep inside our heart, can say, I don't enjoy hearing stories about members of the royal family who are weird. Yes! So I've collected a few here, and according to Ranker, I'm going to start with this one. Friedrich Wilhelm I. There were more than one, apparently. Sure. He ruled Prussia from the year 1713 until 1740. Now, during his reign, he increased the size of the Prussian army from 38,000 to over 80,000 soldiers. Not only did he grow the size of his ranks, but he was also preoccupied with the size of the soldiers. Oh. Specifically. <gasps> did he want tiny soldiers? No, no. He um. went the opposite direction. He he was... Um, yeah, why would I think that, that he would want tiny soldiers? They could sneak through keyholes, you know, in large numbers undetected. Oh, like that movie with the guy who made those little tiny doll people. Do you remember that? It was like a black and white movie. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Mostly he was concerned about the size of his own personal regiment. Sure. Uh, they were all of unusually tall stature for the time. Again, this was in the mid-17 or early mid-1700s. <laughs> was 
Friedrich a little insecure, you maybe, think? Maybe. Generally, maybe. when men of power are like, I have all the tall people. I'm <laughs> taller than this person. Tiny statured this person is blah, blah, blah. Generally, it's because, well, yeah. they have tiny, tiny hands. They have a tiny little soldier. Yeah. Um, these particular soldiers were known formally as the Grand Grenadiers of Potsdam. However, they were more widely known as the Potsdam Giants, which sounds like a baseball team on the West Coast circuit. Sure does. There was only one condition that needed to be met in order for you to join the Army of Giants. You had to be at least six feet tall. <laughs> okay. Ridiculous. Yeah. Now, according to a study, I, I looked this up because uh, I wasn't sure how what the average height was during this particular time. But according to a study by economist John Colmlos, in the first half of the 18th century, the average height of a man was 165 centimeters or 5.5, I mean, 5 feet, 5 inches. That's that's almost a me. That's nearly my height. Well, I mean, it's more than nearly. It's past. It's just, <laughs> just a tad bit taller than me. Why am I saying words like this today? Once you were in... You were in and treated very well. Oh, wow. You got like tenured right away yep. because of your of height. Of your height. If you were six feet, you were in. You got the best food, the best pay, the best uniforms. And some soldiers volunteered to be part of the regiment on their own for obvious reasons. They wanted the special treatment. But Wilhelm had other means of recruiting. Do we have any suspicions about Wilhelm and his desires about these tall men? <laughs> no. Like, we, was he creating a harem yeah. <laughs> like, of real tall dudes? <laughs> I, it could be. I don't have, have any evidence in front of me that uh, that does verify that, right, but, right. but I love I'm that. I'm just saying if I needed an army, sure. you know, yeah. I'd make it a hot army. Well, yes. Yeah, like an army of uh, strippers. Well, no, not of strippers. Though they are very dexterous. And that's one of the things that you want in a personal guard. Somebody with ripped abs and bendy. So he had a lot of volunteers, but uh, he would often find the tallest people in town. And, uh, you know, he would find these, these tall guys and he would go to their fathers and buy them. <laughs> yeah, he definitely wanted in on these tall guys. <laughs> yeah, he, he, it says he would often, this is according to Ranker, he often would pay men for their tall sons and farmhands. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. They come like in their overalls. Wait, how tall was Wilhelm? I do not have that information, but mm -hmm. I would say, you know, my guess is he was probably a teeny tiny little soldier. Wow. It was kind of like, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, like one of those situations where, you know, yeah. you know those things. Go now, ahead. Other countries would also send their tall people over to him to win his favor. <laughs> Wilhelm attempted to make uh, these soldiers even taller, though. They weren't always tall enough. He'd put them on the rack and stretch them out. Oh, no. Which led the soldiers, many of them, to be crippled or killed. Of course. But at least they ate well. So that's nice. Oh, man. Queen Juana I of Castile, often referred to as Joan. Okay. Or Juana the Mad. She's, she was the daughter of Queen Isabella I and King Ferdinand II of Aragon. Juana married Philip the Handsome of Austria. I wish, first of all, I want to know who made those titles out. I mean, when, yeah. I'm thinking he's royalty, so probably he made it up himself. Mm. 
And if that's the case, did people just tag words on to the end of their name to describe how they wished that they were perceived as? Interesting thought. I would be Jethro, owner of a clean truck. That says a lot about you and who you are as a man. I would be Katrina, the eighth. The eighth? Yeah, it just sounds neat. Okay. Though there were no Katrinas before me. You're the one true Katrina. <laughs> so anyway, she uh, she married the uh, Philip the Handsome Guy of Austria when she was a teen and soon after began popping out crotch goblins with sure. him. Uh, Philip, in the meantime, while she was giving birth to his many children, was out messing around with the local hotties. Oh, no. Now, that sent Juana into fits of rage and despair that revealed her delicate mental health issues. Got it. When Philip passed away in 1506, he was only 28 years old, Juana's uh, deteriorating psychological condition worsened. She was reported to have kissed and fondled Philip's corpse. Yeah, the, I think every time we've talked about corpse fondling, it's had something to do with royalty. Well, I know, it's every true. every time, but... Most often. Most often. Most, yeah, well, we've had several examples of it. That's right. So she's kissing and she's fondling Philip's corpse, and she would not part with it until it was embalmed and interred at a monastery nearby. Soon after, though, she decided that she needed some more fondling, uh, so she had the coffin opened, and uh, she began to, to kiss the corpse's feet. The body in the coffin followed her to the palace, protected by armed guards, under orders not to let any of the other women near it. She didn't want any of them hot local hotties getting in on that corpse feet kissing action, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I can't get on board with that. And it's just because I don't dig feet. Um, Even of a living person. Right, yeah. yeah right. It's not something that does it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, by the way, in no way kink-shaming. No. I am I'm pro-kink. However. <laughs> <laughs> just not that particular one. Just not for me. Mm-hmm. It's just not for me. So when she would go on journeys, she had the coffin brought along with her until the time she was imprisoned in a palace in 1509, where she remained for the rest of her life, until she died, because that's what you did with the mentally ill back then. You locked him up. Wow, that's depressing. Like, so many layers of depressing. I got more for you. Oh, good. Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus, better known as Caligula. Oh, yeah. I saw a movie about him once. Yeah. It was... uh, Interesting. It was... Mm -hmm. uh, Well, he was a member of the Julio-Claudian dynasty and uh, Roman emperor between the years of 37 and 41 CE. Yeah. He, uh, okay, he made his share of controversial decisions like having sex with his sisters and stuff, but his love for his sisters paled in comparison to the love that he had for his horse, Incitatus. According to historical accounts, Caligula gave the horse a marble stall and a house, and even invited his horse to eat dinners where he fed the horse oats mixed with golden flakes, which sounds like a delicious breakfast cereal by Kellogg's, but was in fact actual flakes made of real gold. That's going to be really terrible for his intestinal tract. Talk about roughage. That can't be good. Gold, though malleable, still, I imagine, not great for your tum-tum. Didn't we do a story about another royal who would eat gold so that his poop glittered? 
That sounds right. I feel like we did talk about that because then we talked about the pills that you can buy to put glitter in your poo. Yeah, we, we talked about that too. Anyway, Caligula... I still want those pills. <laughs> um, Caligula went on to make his horse a console, so... There, oh, yeah, there you go. I was just, I was really concerned about that horse and what. Yeah. Yeah. But I, th- I should have said up front, don't worry. Okay. Ibrahim I was born in Istanbul, the capital of the Ottoman Empire. His older brother was a real piece of work. Afraid of having his throne usurped, he slew all of his younger brothers, with the exception of Ibrahim, because. He found him to be of no threat due to his lack of mental stability, so he let him live. Okay. Um, There have been a lot of stories about those who are in line for the crown. What is wrong with me today? Uh, ah! Those who were in line for the throne uh, being (laughs) taken out by by those who wanted the throne. Um, And so, you know, I mean... That was just proactive. It was a preventative strike yeah. on his part. But he lets Ibrahim I live. And um, Ibrahim was way too busy to try to take the throne from his brother. Anyway, he was obsessed with lust. He had a large harem, but a very special type of harem. He ordered his men to search for a unique kind of woman. One, this is a quote, one who was made in the manner of a wild heifer. Like a quadruped? Uh, Cow-like features, I guess. I don't know. They found such a woman, and they gave her a nickname that translates literally to, quote, piece of sugar. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to... I want to know what the details of that description are. Like, what... I... I don't know. That's... Like a wild heifer to me means that you have very, very skinny legs right, and right. a giant torso mm-hmm. and then a very long head and mm-hmm. floppy ears. Yes, that, that's probably what he was into. But it's been lost to history, my love. We don't know for sure. I want to know what this, this lovely treat, sugary, sugary treat looked like. Piece of sugar. Yeah. He, yeah. I'm just curious. That's why they call you a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Louis XIV, he had the longest reign of any European monarch. He ruled France for over 72 years. That's why they called him Mr. Whiskers. Sorry. Go, please. Louis was known as the Sun King, but they should have called him the Bum King. Like many other noblemen in his day. Was he lazy? No. Oh. He frequently enjoyed enemas. Oh, okay. Different kind of bum. Yeah. Believing they contributed to good health. Okay, cool. Sure. However, Louis took the whole colon cleansing thing to uh, a whole different level. It was reported that he had received several thousand enemas over a period of uh, several years. And according to one historical blog, the water in the enemas were often infused with color and scented with rose and angelica. All right. Yeah. All right. So he was addicted to colonics. Um, I've never had a colonic, but I feel like there's, I mean, I want to know more about, like, is it actually beneficial? Is it something that, you know, like, I, I've never been addicted to barbiturates and I don't eat a lot of meat. So do I even need a colonic? Is that something that I <laughs> should be looking into? What's it like? What if they find a Barbie shoe? I'm, <laughs> I have all the questions. Uh, yeah. 
Yep, it happens. Do you get to see what comes out of you? Uh, it depends on what type of uh, clinic you go to. The, the one that I went to, there was a machine on the wall, and it just cycled the water through it, and it was glass, and you could see it. And and she's like, and it was a she that was giving me the the uh, the colonic. Yes, yes, doctors can be she's. Yeah, well, it wasn't a doctor. Wait, whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> She's standing there. And no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's administering this? Some rando? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I found one of those little. It was on Craigslist. <laughs> no, it was it was on a, the grocery store bulletin board, and I just tore the number off. Oh, and uh, stop it. No, it was like at, a, at a colonics clinic. I don't know exactly what her credentials were. I don't think they need to be. They just need to be trained in how to turn the machine on. I don't like that at all. All right. Well, regardless, she's she's standing there and she's like looking at the machine and it's, you know, it's draining out and everything. And she goes, oh, carrots. That's bullshit. You don't eat carrots. <laughs> Any hoozle, Christian Seventh became king of Denmark at the ripe old age of 17, despite his childlike behavior and fits of madness. Christian exhibited many antisocial behaviors, but his most notorious was his obsession with pleasuring himself. You know, exhibiting the crown jewels, summoning the royal stag, polishing the royal scepter, if you will. Oh. I spent I spent time yep. looking for a royal. Yeah, I saw you on thesaurus.com. Yeah, yeah. uh, according to accounts by his royal physician, who, uh, by the way, was doing the king's wife, Princess Caroline, you know, coronating the queen, <laughs> giving her yeah. a royal crowning. Uh -huh. Wait, one more. Kneeling before my lady. Um, well, probably someone had to if yeah. her husband was always... Uh, Policing the scepter. Hold on. Ch charging up the castle or uh, tower... I'll get back to you. Okay. His physician said that uh, Christian Seventh masturbated so much that it interfered with his duties as a leader. Uh-huh, duties. Later, experts believed that Christian Seventh's problems were actually due to schizophrenia or porphyria. And I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up, and according to the Mayo Clinic website, porphyria refers to a group of disorders that result from a buildup of natural chemicals that produce porphyrin in your body. Porphyrins are essential for the function of hemoglobin, but, you know, if it's too much, then it can make you jerk off, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. It seems like a really weird uh, symptom. I think it was he, he was 17, you know, I mean. Right? So That's, you know. Yeah. What's abnormal? As far as a 17-year-old goes. Wow, he was married? Yeah. Oh, wow. Royalty. I guess. Yeah, yeah that's true. Mm -hmm. Alexandra Amali was the Princess of Bavaria in the mid-19th century. Okay. Princess Amali was an eccentric woman. She had a love of literature. She wrote literature, many works, in addition to her obsession with writing, um, though she also had some more peculiar obsessions. The princess... Most likely, among other things, suffered from obsessive-compulsive dis disorder. She had a fixation on cleanliness okay. that went beyond the ordinary. She refused to wear any color besides white. Okay. I guess because she wanted to make sure there was no dirt. That's and... clean. Got it. It's also important to mention that she was also convinced that she had swallowed a tiny glass piano. 
I've heard of that. Yes. It's called it's called glass delusion. She would walk around with great caution, especially when passing through doorways as not to break the tiny glass piano in her stomach. That's so specific and amazing. Isn't that? I had to find out more about glass delusion. I think, at first, I thought maybe I'll just do a whole segment on glass delusion, but there were so many other great pieces there that I, I did a little bit of a deeper dive on it, but um, this is what I found out. I can't believe you stole glass delusion from us. I've got some stuff for All you. All right, fine. Glass delusion, according to Wikipedia, is an external manifestation of a psychotic disorder recorded in Europe mainly in the late Middle Ages and early modern period from the 15th to the 17th century. It was very common during this period and then just went away. I wonder why that is. For the most part. I, I don't know. It's fascinating. People feared that they were made of glass and therefore likely to shatter into pieces. One famous early sufferer was King Charles IV of France who refused to allow people to touch him and wore reinforced clothing to protect himself from accidental shattering. That's incredible. I know. Tchaikovsky, the Russian composer had some symptoms reminiscent of glass delusion. It was mostly centered around uh, his difficulties caused by his belief that his head would fall off and shatter while conducting the orchestra. Whoa. If he did not hold his chin while he was conducting. Oh, that's weird. That's, yeah, I, wow. I had uh, an unfortunate incident with a painkiller one time. Uh, uh -oh. that I had taken too much of. And I was, I don't remember much of this incident, but I do remember that I was cupping my chin, holding my face on um, <laughs> because I thought that my, the front part of my, my skin, like my face skin mm -hmm. was going, was sliding off Ooh, of my skull. That's horrifying. And so I had to hold my chin oh, no. so that my, my face skin wouldn't slide off. I don't do drugs well. <laughs> no, not at all. So mm. I don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Wise decision. Yeah. This condition was written a lot about in those days. Dutch poet Constantine Huygens wrote a costly folly in 1622 centered on a subject who fears everything that moves in his vicinity. The chair will be the death of me, he says. In this poem, he trembles at the bed, fearful that one will break his bum or smash his head. That's terrible. Well, I love that back in 1622, they were they were using the word bum and that we've managed to carry that through the centuries. Yeah, it's important. In modern times, glass delusion is, it, well, it hasn't completely disappeared. There are still isolated ca uh, cases. Uh, surveys of modern psychiatric institutions have revealed only two corroborated specific cases of glass delusion. One glass man is in a Paris asylum, and a woman who thought she was a pot shard is in an asylum in Marienburg. Wow. Yeah, she thinks she's a pot shard. When I hear things like that, you so often think of... Uh, drug use, like, you know, you, holding the, your face on the so. story of the guy on LSD who thought he was a glass of orange juice, you know, that kind of thing. He could never lay down because he'd then spill, you know, which means dying. Um, but, you know, what 
are drugs, but things that mess with the chemicals in your brain. Right. So why wouldn't your brain just be able to do those same things that make you feel like you're a goddamn glass of orange juice? <laughs> it's terrifying. Clearly it Brains can. are terrifying. Which is going to be the title of this episode. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good night. I found my information on Ranker, Wikipedia, and the Mayo Clinic website. So there you have it. So uh, good. That stuff. was a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of interesting stuff. Mm. This weekend, we are in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's the uh, our last show. Our last show. Not forever, but it's the last one we have scheduled for now. We've taken a bit of a break. We did get a great message from Seasoned Witch talking about some of the uh, local restaurants slash juice bars in Bridgeport. And I'm super excited to check it out. Thank you so much. I wanted to go to the P.T. Barnum Museum that's there, but it's not open when we're there. It's only open like Wednesdays and Thursdays or something weird like that. Oh, that's a bummer. Annie Hoosel. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. One, two, three, four, five. Give me that sweet voice juice of yours. Ew. What? That's like what Ursula stole from Ariel. Ooh, that's right. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms.